What a joy that is to be a part of that and, and uh, to see the lives of young people uh, following Jesus. Amen. And in the 930 service, uh, we, uh, I had the opportunity to baptize a senior adult. And in uh, and, uh, 1230 service, we'll be baptizing next Sunday. So we're excited about what God is doing. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to worship. It's good to rejoice. Um, it's good to see you. Uh, and some of you uh, are, have wondered if I have a grandson. Um, and why don't I talk about him more often? One of the things that uh, Monica and I were kind of, uh, you know, impressed about with our, with our grandson and our, our daughter is that she uh, makes his baby food. And, uh, and we thought that was really interesting because when, when we were raising our kids, we bought baby food at the store. I mean, it, it, there, there's a brand, I think it's just as biblical as Chick-fil-A is Gerber, right? And uh, you get a, a, a personalized spoon, you can get life insurance, you know, I mean, it's got to be the best baby food in the world. But, but uh, uh, our, our daughter, make, you know, she buys the carrots, she buys the fruit, she buys the apples, and she uses the food processor and, and then uh, gives them food that is all natural. And I realized that our generation was all about convenience, right? It's what's convenient. You know, we, we got to do all these things in life. So what's more convenient? Well, you buy the food and, uh, and you buy the food they like and you bring it and and, uh, but for, for this generation, what's, what's important is clean eating. They don't want any preservatives. They don't want any additives, any coloring in what the baby eats because they want their baby to eat clean. And that's a thing for, for this generation. They, they go back to the old days where they're making the food for them that has none of that. Not only do they value doing that, but they teach their children how to do it. Here's a picture of baby Daniel trying to make his own peanut butter. Uh, because you can't buy peanut butter at the store, apparently. You have to make your own. Uh, and so it's not the easiest and it's not the most convenient, but it's the cleanest way to eat, my children tell me. Pure. The purity that younger generations value in food, Jesus values in his disciples. He says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus commends those who are pure in heart and states that they will see God. We're in a series that we're calling the Beatitudes, Distinctives of a Disciple. And we're looking at these eight sayings of Jesus that we call the Beatitudes. They begin with the word blessed. And looking at how they are distinctives of a disciple, how they characterize true followers of Jesus. And we've looked at humble, we looked at broken, we've looked at, at meek, we've looked at hungry and merciful. We've looked at five Beatitudes so far in our series and today we come to the sixth one which is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So let me unpack that a little bit for us this morning. I believe that pure means that, that it, it means clean lives. God expects his children to lead clean lives. The Greek word for pure here is katharos, which speaks of cleansing. So 
Those that have pure hearts are, are those who have been cleansed. As we think of this week's uh, theme of Advent, love, we remember the love of God. We celebrate the love of God. A love that is unconditional. A love that has extended mercy and grace to us. And we should meditate on that. We should celebrate that. We should contemplate that. But as we meditate on the love and mercy of God, we cannot ignore his holiness. God still hates sin. And he still demands holiness. If you don't believe it, look at the crucifixion. The cruelty, the awfulness, the pain of the crucifixion speaks to how much God hates sin and how he demands holiness. God desires that his children lead clean lives. When God gave Israel his commandments, they included multiple instructions about what was clean and unclean. There were foods that were clean. There were foods that were unclean. There were animals that were clean. There were animals that were unclean. There were things in their lives and in their bodies that if they had uh, happened to them, they were declared unclean and they had to be a, a cleansing. They had to be some kind of a period of waiting before they could enter into the temple. And every instruction about their dietary laws, every instruction about their ceremonial laws, every instruction about worship at the temple, everything that had to do with clean and unclean was a reminder to the people of God, I am a holy God, and because I'm a holy God, my people should be holy. And every time you eat, you ought to remember it. Every time you choose what you're gonna have for breakfast, every time that you wash dishes, every time that you live your life on a daily basis, you ought to remember that I'm holy and my people should be pure. My people should be clean. My people should be different from the rest of the world. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And this idea is repeated over and over again in God's commandment and law for his people. God desires his children to lead holy lives. The psalmist asked a question about who can enter the presence of God in Psalm 24, three through five. He says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Those that want to enter into the presence of a holy God must have clean hands. That means clean lives and pure hearts. Those who want to follow Christ must lead clean lives. Yes, God is merciful and he's loving and he's forgiving, but he wants children who are pure. He wants the people who are holy. Christ is looking for followers who are pure. Listen, holiness matters. Purity matters. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I was talking to a young lady last week and she was lamenting the way that her mother died. Her mother died at a young age because of a drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And, uh, and, and she was telling me, not only am I sad about the way my mom died, I'm sad about the way that she lived because she was miserable before she died. She said, and I want to keep myself clean from drugs. I want to keep myself clean from addiction. But it's hard. It, it, it's harder to stay clean 
than to be tainted, than to get caught. She goes, my friends and people at work are constantly luring me in that direction, but I keep remembering what happened to my mom and I don't want to end up like that. I want a clean life. And those of us that are followers of Christ should want the same thing. We should want clean lives. We should not lower the standard. Listen, grace is not an excuse for spiritual laziness. Love and the love of God is not an excuse for spiritual shallow lives. The standard has not changed. We think sometimes some people think that grace means that the standard has been lowered. People think, oh, we're saved by grace. We're freeing Christ. God paid everything. He doesn't expect us to, to, to earn our salvation. He doesn't expect us to, to pay him back. He, he forgives us unconditionally. And all of that is true. But they think that grace lowers the standard. It does not. In fact, it does completely the opposite. When we keep reading in chapter five here of Matthew, where we find the Beatitudes, you come to the very end of the chapter, and this is how it ends in verse 48. This is what Jesus says. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard of grace. That's the standard of grace. Legalism has a low standard. They, they, as long as you check off all the boxes, there can be a lot of boxes, but you check them off, maybe you'll get there. But, but God has a standard for you and for me as followers of Jesus that is perfection like that of the Father. That's how high the bar is. See, a lot of us like to compare ourselves to others to determine our holiness. Well, you know, I, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, but I'm, at least I'm not like that guy over there. You know, what, you know what that guy does? At least I'm not like my neighbor. You know what my neighbor does? But Jesus doesn't let you get away with that. He doesn't let you compare yourself to others. He says the only standard that is, that is legitimate for you is a standard of perfection like that of the Father. And that's, that's quite something. And James knows that that we're not perfect and that we need to be extended an invitation to do something about that. He says this in James chapter four, verse eight. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now I like how James gets away with calling his readers sinners and double-minded, you know? He doesn't worry about being politically correct, but the, the invitation is a positive one. He says, look, you're not perfect. Yes, you're sinners, but come to God and, and wash your hands and purify your hearts. Let him purify your hearts. So the question for me and for you today is where do we need cleansing in our lives? Where, where do our lives need purity? What is it that, that you need God to remove from your life that is contaminating you, that is keeping you from a, a full life of fellowship with God. Pure means clean lives. But pure also means change hearts. This admonition that James extends to us to purify our hearts is in keeping with the beatitude that we're studying today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The kind of purity that Christ expects begins in the heart. It is first and foremost internal and then external. It's about changed hearts. And we should be reminded that when we talk about heart, 
What the Hebrew mindset understood with heart is different than what we understand here in the West in our time. When we think heart, we think emotions. We think feelings. We think valentines. But when the Hebrews thought of heart, it was the center of, of the thought and the will. It was a center of loyalty. The heart was the inner person. It included all of that. Yes, it included emotions and feelings, but it wasn't just that. And that's how Jesus stands above the other rabbis because all of the other rabbis of Jesus' time taught their disciples about purity. They, they, they taught them that God was holy and they needed to lead holy lives. But they taught them with external rules. They, they taught them with, with religious rites. They taught them with, with commandments that not only God gave, but that they, they added to God's commandments. But Jesus says, in order to... Uh, to distinguish himself from the rabbis of his day, he says, what I want is a purity that comes from the heart. That's what God has always wanted. That's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Isaiah said that God wants our hearts first. He wants our hearts first. He wants our inner devotion first. The worship from our mouth should flow from the purity of our heart. The obedience to his commandments should be birthed by the allegiance to God in our inner being. Church culture tries to give us rules. You know, if you, there are certain denominations that if you belong to them, you know, if you're going to be a good Baptist or a good Pentecostal or a good Methodist or a good whatever, these are the rules you have to keep. And you don't dance and you don't drink and you don't spit and you don't chew and you don't smoke and you don't, all this list of things that people should not do. And they are interesting. They have a reason for being, I'm sure. But it's interesting that when Jesus gives us a list, he doesn't give us a list of behaviors to avoid. He gives us a list of things that have to do with the heart, to be poor in spirit, to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, to be meek and to be merciful and to be broken and to be pure in heart. Obedience to God's commandments begins with love the Lord your God with all your heart. God wants your heart. He wants changed hearts. That's where purity begins. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the wisdom writer adds this admonition as he's making disciples, as he's discipling his son in Proverbs 4.23. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And then he continues to unpack in that passage about being careful. He tells his disciple, be careful with what you say. Be careful with what you touch. Be careful with where your feet go. I remember that song that, that we were taught as little kids. Be careful little mouth what you say. And be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little feet where you go. And, and, and the Proverbs writer mentions those things. But he says, but above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, everything you speak, everything you touch, every, everywhere you go begins with the heart. Someone has said it in this way. Watch your thoughts. They lead to attitudes. 
Watch your attitudes, they lead to words. Watch your words, they lead to actions. Watch your actions, they lead to habits. Watch your habits for they form character. And watch your character because it determines your destiny. The short form of that is watch your heart for it will determine your destiny. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's no wonder that Jesus emphasizes that. If our lives are to be pure, if, if there's to be holiness in our life, it must begin with pure hearts, with changed hearts, with cleansed hearts. You know, I, I, uh, I've been um, by myself for a couple of weeks and uh, one of the things that I've thought about is how much I need to monitor the refrigerator. Um, you know, uh, what you have in your refrigerator says a lot about what kind of a day or week you're going to have. Uh, you, if, you, if your refrigerator is full of junk food, then you're probably going to end up eating junk food and pay the consequences. And if there's healthy food in your fridge, then you'll probably end up eating healthy unless you just forget it and go to McDonald's. But, um, uh, but, but what you let in your refrigerator makes a difference. Not only that, but you have to monitor it, right? After a while, some of the leftovers that you have there, your favorite meatloaf uh, or your favorite carne guisada, it doesn't last forever. You know, if, if stuff starts growing things in your refrigerator, that's not a good sign. And it begins to smell. And all of a sudden, the good food in your refrigerator picks up the smell of the bad food. Don't ask me how I know. If you... If you let some kind of vegetable in your vegetable tray that's rotten, if you leave it there, it begins to affect the other vegetables. So someone that is a good person at the house should monitor the fridge and from time to time remove things, even if it's your favorite meatloaf, but it already has little trees growing out of it. Or vegetables, throw them away so that you can keep your refrigerator clean. So that so they can smell well, so they can be fresh. And if it's true with your refrigerator, it's certainly true with your heart. You must monitor what it's in there. The thoughts and the motives and the attitudes, the decisions, the loyalties of your heart. They matter. They affect everything in your heart and they affect your life. So when you begin to identify in your heart that there's bitterness or resentment when there's hate, when there's greed, when there's lust, when there's selfishness, then you ought to be quick and remove it. And ask God to remove that before it affects everything else. King David committed some awful sins, including murder and adultery. And when he repented in his, in his brokenness, he acknowledged that his sin, his awful sin, had begun in his heart. And that's why he prays as he asks for forgiveness in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David had repented from his sin. He wanted God to forgive him. He wanted to to be relieved from his guilt, but he also wanted to avoid doing it again. And he, know, he knew that the only way to avoid doing it again was for God to give him a pure heart. 
Because he knew that's where his sin had begun. It begins in the heart. And so that's my prayer too. Create in me a pure heart of God. Change my heart. Make it pure. Cleanse it and purify it so that it may be pleasing to you. So that I can be part of that beatitude, blessed of the pure in heart for they will see God. Pure means change hearts. And it also means complete redemption. Each of the beatitudes has a promise. The poor in spirit get the kingdom of God. The, those who mourn get to be comforted. Those who are meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Those who are merciful will be shown mercy. And then we get to the sixth beatitude. And it says that the pure in heart will see God. All of the other things are great. I mean, it's great to be comforted. It's great to be satisfied. It's great to be shown mercy. But to see God, to see God, that's got to be the biggest one of them all. It is a completion of our redemption. When John looks at the very end of the age, the fulfillment in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, he says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. This is how the story ends. The, the redeemed, the forgiven, the rescued by Christ will see God. Those whose hearts have been made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ will get to see the face of God. But that's not how the story has always been. There was a time when, when, when that wasn't possible. When Moses asked to see God, God tells him in Exodus 33:20, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Sinful human beings cannot see God and live. His glory and his holiness would consume us in an instant. One second or one fraction of a second that we would see the face of God in our sinful condition, we would stop existing. That's the way the story has been. But that's not, not the way the story ends, at least not for the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What an incredible promise. The pure in heart will get to see God in all of his holiness, in all of his glory on that day, that'll be the day that our redemption will be complete. It will be the last stage of our salvation. And it makes complete sense because purity is about wholeness. Purity of heart is about wholeness. It's about singleness of heart. The Bible speaks often about the double-minded person. The double-minded person cannot see God because their loyalties are divided. The person whose heart wanders in every direction cannot see God. Purity of heart is a singleness of heart, is a, a complete loyalty to God. It's, it's a heart that is fully integral and whole toward God. I can never be pure like that. I could never be holy like that. And neither can you, not on your own. The only way to a pure heart is to let the blood of Jesus cleanse us. The only way to have pure hearts is to come by faith and allow the life of Jesus to be applied to our lives. And he, in a miraculous way, cleanses us from all of our sin, erases the sin, 
And then begins something that's called sanctification. Sanctification is a work in progress. So thank God for that. When we look at each other, we go, oh, yeah, they're still in progress. That's why. That explains a lot. We were forgiven the day we trusted Christ, and that was a done deal. We were forgiven once and for all. Forgiveness is not in question anymore. Our sins were cast in the furthest part of the sea, in the deepest part of the sea. But sanctification is a daily process. Every day God is working to purify you and me as we trust and as we obey. And the promise is that one day we'll get to that standard. Can you believe that? Sometimes you say, I don't know if I could ever get there. I, I got so far to go. I'm not even close to being pure in heart. And this whole idea of be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect is, is so foreign to me. Well, here's the good news. That one day you'll get there. That's good. You know, when, when, when you're in school, it, it's good. If someone could guarantee you that you're going to graduate, that would be a good feeling, right? If you're in a marathon, if someone could guarantee that you're going to finish, that you're going to cross the finish line, that would be encouraging. There, we don't have those kind of guarantees sometimes, but, but we have the guarantee that we will be pure in heart. 1 John 3, 2 says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's a promise. We will get there. It will happen. Advent is a season of waiting. Waiting for the coming of Christ. And believing that when Christ comes for the second time, we will see him and we will be like him. Our redemption will be complete. And until that day, we trust and obey. Until that day, we desire purity. Until that day, let us guard our hearts. Until that day, let us submit to the Holy Spirit work in our lives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Genuine disciples are pure. And pure means clean lives, changed hearts, and a complete redemption, a guarantee of a redemption. I want to invite you to respond to God's word today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and as you think about what God has said to you today, I want to ask you, where is it that God needs to cleanse and purify your life? How is it that your heart needs to be made pure? How is it that you need to trust Christ? And as you bow your heads and as you pray, maybe today, the most important decision you need to make is to let Christ come in your life and cleanse all of your sin from the inside out. Religion can't do that. Church can't do that. Only Christ can do that. As you open your heart to him, he can take away everything that is impure. He can forgive you and he can begin a work of purifying your heart until that day when Jesus comes. If you want to begin that journey today, you can trust Jesus as Savior and Lord and tell him because you believe that he died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead, that you receive that gift that he gives by faith. You can tell him right there where you are. And as a follower of Christ, maybe what you need to 
surrender today is your heart and to say, God, change my heart. Make it pure. Cleanse it. Maybe there's something you need to release today. To ask God to remove that from your life. That it's contaminating you and contaminating others. Say, God, I, I want you to take it. Surrender it to him right now. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. And I want to invite you, if you want to physically respond, there's several ways in which you can do it. There's some offering plates here at the front. If you have a commitment card or a prayer card or a guest card, you can, during the song, you can come and put it in a plate. If you want to place your offering there, you can do that. We have offering boxes we can give online. But if you, if you want to come out of your place and physically respond, you can do that. I'll be here at the front. If you want to pray with me or you want me to pray for you, I'll be right here. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your call in our lives to have pure hearts. We know that only you can do that. But allow us to desire it in such a way that we surrender everything and allow you to be at work in our lives. Work in our hearts. Receive our prayer needs. Receive our commitments, our decisions, receive our giving. But we do it with a heart of gratitude and a heart of worship. In Jesus' name.